Well, good evening to all of you. Thanks for taking time out of your Thursday night to be here. I'm going to begin by reading uh, something I found a few weeks ago, an article written by a pastor named Steve Irwin, and I had not heard of him before I found this article, but it, it really hit me. I'm just going to read the first paragraph. He writes, society pressures us to conform to its values. Here in Europe, we must avoid any semblance of intolerance. As a result, it can feel like a spiritual straitjacket is imposed upon us. He's writing from Europe, but I don't think it's too different here. Followers of Christ tend to adopt subtle approaches to evangelism, emphasizing the building of relational bridges, waiting for others to express interest in spiritual things. In practice, it leads many Christians and Christian workers to dedicate themselves to silent lifestyle witness without intentionally seeking to articulate the gospel of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. There is relatively little fruit to these efforts. It really hit me when I read that because I think he just nailed how I go about evangelism in my Christian life. I'll let it slip out here and there with a friend or with a coworker that I'm a Christian. I'll mention that I go to a church, but then I kind of sit back and wait, kind of see how they respond, kind of wait to see if they ask me any more questions, which does happen on occasion, but most of the time it doesn't. So when Tyler asked me to prepare this message, I took a look at the text and I was I, I felt very inadequate to deliver this message because, um, as I just alluded to, I think plainly and simply sharing the gospel of Jesus with people is, is very difficult. It's not a strength for me. I'm sure many of you find it difficult as well. Um, so we're all in this one together. It, it's difficult, yet it's also very straightforward. And it is so straightforward, I think, that I, I only have two points for you tonight, if you can please give us the first slide. Jesus is the message, and you are the messenger. That's what I have for you this evening. And um, the message will not be divided into two halves, precisely, where one is Jesus and the other one is about you. Um, The message is far more disorganized than that. I'm going to be bringing those points up from time to time, And it'll also be kind of resting in the background. But that's what I want you to think about tonight. Jesus is the message. He's the one we need to share. And we are all the messengers. So it's a difficult thing, right? When we spend time with other Christians, we can talk for hours. The conversation flows very easily. But suddenly you put me, or maybe many of you, you you wind up in a room where you're the only Christian, and suddenly confidence just plummets. It doesn't necessarily mean your confidence in the truth of the Bible plummets. It just means your confidence to speak plainly about these things plummets. So, it's a challenge for all of us. Now, it's possible, I I recognize a lot of familiar faces here, so I know many of you have heard Tyler preach, and you're familiar with Christian teaching, but it's possible someone here may not be a Christian. If that's the case, there's still a lot tonight you can learn from. Um, The message will be mostly directed to Christians, but you will leave here knowing the basics about the Christian faith, and uh, maybe it'll 
awaken a few questions for you to ask. If you have questions, I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. Unless they're very difficult questions, then you can talk to Tyler. So, talking about Jesus is very difficult. We're all in this together. Let's pray together. Father, we really need your help tonight. The message is a simple one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to know the Father. It is only through him that we can truly know God and have assurance of eternity in heaven. And yet, the very weight of that message makes it very difficult to share with people who do not believe. So help us to listen well tonight and to receive truth by the power of the Spirit. And help us when we head on out of here to, um, to grow in our confidence um, that we can trust in Christ and we can share Jesus even when it's tough. All right, so if we can please have the next slide. We'll get going with our text here. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, he always has a very interesting way of putting things. And in this case, he gives us a progression of things that normally happen leading up to new faith for a person. The interesting thing is we actually have to read his list backwards in order to see the progression in order. So, we see the progression uh, sent, preach, hear, believe, call. And yet he actually lifts, lists it in the reverse order. But if we look at it backwards, uh, we see the verse uh, 14 begins with the person calling on the Lord. But that's actually the end result. So if we look at the end of these lines here, we see how are they to preach unless they are sent? So sending is the first step in the progression. Now this brings up an interesting point because some people will look at this text and say, well, when Paul was writing this, he was thinking about church planting in his day and uh, people were sent out to new cities and they preached the gospel in hopes of seeing new converts. And so some people might look at this and say, well, this is really about missionaries, vocational preachers. This, this isn't about me when I'm interacting with my friends. However, however, I think it does apply to us. Now, if you invite your friends to come to GCF or to Sovereign Hope on Sunday, and they come, and they hear the message, and they believe, great. Praise God, right? But what if your friends don't want to come to church? Or what if their work schedule gets in the way? Or what if they ask you a very simple question like, what kind of church is it? Tell me about your church. If you're out trying to invite people to church, trying to get them here or to church on Sunday to hear about Jesus, you're going to naturally find yourself in conversations where you are going to be the preacher. You might not, um, you might not have a megaphone. You might not have a soapbox or a podium, um, but you're going to have opportunities to tell people about Jesus. So you have already been sent. You've already been sent. You're sent every day you set foot on this campus. Tomorrow, you will have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with people. Tomorrow, you're going to talk to people who will never hear me preach. They'll never hear Pastor Tyler or Pastor John preach. And every day you're on this campus, you've been sent as an ambassador of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. See, at Sovereign Hope, we do hope 
one day to send missionaries uh, beyond the, the borders of our country. Uh, we hope to plant other churches, um, but those are not, not in the works in the short term. And so right now, you are this church's missionaries. As I said, you've already been sent. You get the opportunity to preach. So sometimes we associate um, preaching with, like I said, a megaphone, a big sandwich board that says John 3.16 on it. I'm not opposed to those kinds of things if they're done with kindness. Um, later on, I'll tell you a strange story about public evangelism with puppets and the influence it had in my own life. But you don't need puppets. You don't have to have gospel tracts. You don't have to have a box full of little New Testaments. You just need the courage to talk to your friends and talk to your classmates about Jesus. That's preaching, if you will. It comes between the sending and the hearing. You've been sent, and people all around you need to hear about Jesus. So if they're going to hear, somebody has to tell them that somebody can be you. You're the messenger. Jesus is the message. Later, or soon, I will be uh, more specific about what the content of that message might be. But right now, I just want to finish looking at this verse, these verses, and this progression. So you've been sent to this campus. You tell people about Jesus. That is preaching. And then people hear. When a person hears the message of who Jesus is, and what Jesus did, some will believe, many will reject it. The response is ultimately outside of your control. It's beyond your control. You should pray that people will believe. I think each one of us should be spending time every single day praying for people who do not know Jesus, praying that they would come to know Jesus, praying for opportunities to talk to them, praying for uh, spontaneous conversations that can lead to sharing Jesus, Prayer is our responsibility. Prayer is very, very powerful. We cannot expect to see fruit without prayer. Yet, at the same time, ultimately who believes and when they believe, that is completely up to God. Now, for the one who does believe, that person becomes able to call upon the Lord. You might remember the last verse of the passage that Tyler preached last week. It's a very famous verse, Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So when we look at that verse in the context of everything we just talked about, you see how it all fits together. You according to this progression that Paul lays out, you have to believe, an individual has to believe before that individual is able to call upon the Lord. You have to believe before you can call. It's not just a person calling out, hello, Jesus, are you there? I'm calling on you. Are you real? No. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is the call of the person who believes. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord, I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. It's a heartfelt call that's rooted in belief with an understanding of who Jesus is. So they have to hear about Jesus in order to believe and call. Jesus is the message. The gospel, the good news is all about Jesus. If you want to share the story of how you became a Christian with someone, that's great. If you want to share um, the way Jesus has helped you recently in your life to overcome some difficulty or some sin, that's great. But we really do want to move from there to actually talking about Jesus because he's the one people have to hear about. If you really want to see the power of God at work in your personal interactions, you have to talk about Jesus Christ. So what do people need to know? 
What do people need to know about Jesus in order to be saved? If you could listen in on five people who are really effective at this kind of personal evangelism, if you could listen in on their conversations, you would discover, you would notice that each person who does this well does it a little bit differently. It wouldn't be exactly the same. It's not just this kind of point-by-point little speech that's always exactly the same. It's going to be a little different, but there are key things that you would notice showing up time and time again. So we need to talk about who Jesus is, we need to talk about what Jesus did, and we need to talk about why it matters. If you can keep those three ideas in the back of your mind as you're talking to people who don't know Christ, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and why it matters, if you think about those things and pray in your mind as you're talking to people, you'll find opportunities to just start talking about them, and then you'll be off and running. So, the gospel. This is the heart of it. This is the good news that sinners like you and me can be reconciled forever to a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's very simple. In essence, the gospel is good news. That's the literal meaning of the word, good news. It's good news for everyone because the Bible says that every single person has sinned against God. It's good news because it says in spite of our sin, we can be reconciled to the God we've sinned against. The gospel says that reconciliation with God is possible because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus has always existed along with God the Father and God the Spirit. The three have always existed in such perfect harmony that we rightly refer to them as one God. So this trinity, the three, is one God, and yet, at a particular point in human history, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world as a human being. Even as a flesh and blood person, Jesus remained fully God. Even growing up and living in our sinful world, Jesus never sinned. Yet, it was Jesus who received the terrible death sentence that sin deserved. He was tortured, he was left to die on a wooden cross. Jesus died an excruciating death. Only a sinner could deserve a death like that, and yet the sinless Son of God was the one who received that death. And after Jesus' death on the third day came the most extraordinary event, we might say, in all of human history. On the third day, God the Father raised Jesus, God the Son, from the dead by the power of God the Holy Spirit. People saw Jesus after he'd been raised from the dead. They talked to him. The disciple Thomas famously insisted on touching Jesus' hands and feeling the indents where the nails had gone through through him and into the cross. And then after a time on earth, showing himself to people, Jesus ascended into heaven, that's where he is today, once again with God the Father and God the Spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you trust that he received the punishment for your sins, you receive eternal life. You can receive the Spirit of God right here and right now. God's Spirit will enlighten you and guide you for the rest of your life. And you can live with the assurance that the end of this life is only the beginning. You can look forward to never-ending joy with God. Not because you did good deeds, not because you became a moral and religious person, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. It's because of the good news of what Jesus did. The gospel is good news because of what happens when you place your full trust in Jesus. The gospel is also good news because of what will happen if you don't place your faith in Jesus. And this is the really tough part to talk about, especially when we're talking to people 
who we care about who are not Christians. But the gospel is also good news because all sin will ultimately receive justice. All sin will be punished. And if you do, if you do not believe that Jesus received the punishment for your sins, if you do not believe that, you will receive the punishment for your sin. The Bible says that without faith in Jesus, you'll be punished in hell for your sin after you die. In hell, you do not experience any of God's love or his goodness. In hell, a person simply suffers forever. When you think about this contrast, we realize our human mind, we cannot comprehend how good the gospel is. The extremes that we're talking about, eternity with Jesus, eternity in hell, it's so extreme, it goes beyond what we can imagine. Without Jesus, death is like a trap door that suddenly opens and plunges you into a lake of scalding fire. With Jesus, death means the wiping away of every tear. It means the end of all pain. The Bible speaks of an eternal city awaiting God's people, a city that has no need for a sun or for a moon because the glory of God himself illuminates everything. Which raises the question, how is it that we go through our lives interacting with people we care about, people we would love to see know Jesus, and yet we don't share these things? Oftentimes we don't even try to. If we believe this is true, we're responsible to share it with people. If you're skeptical in your heart, if you're skeptical, you're in just the right place. You're listening to God's word. You have the opportunity to go to community groups, church on Sunday, to, to consider what the Bible says and keep praying and to ask God to, to awaken your heart to this truth. Yet if you do believe, you have the responsibility to share it. If heaven is real and hell is real, this is a very, very, very big deal. We, have to, we need Jesus to change the way we go about our lives so that our words and our actions are consistent with our beliefs. It may seem like a comfortable thing to keep the gospel to ourselves, but our scripture tonight says it is a beautiful thing to share it with others. If we can see the next slide. As it is written, this is again from our text for tonight. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's a beautiful thing that you're doing when you talk to people about the good news of Jesus. But that does not mean that their response is what we would hope for. It may not be. They have not all obeyed the gospel, our text says. So a person has to hear the word of God in order to receive faith, but they might hear it and they might not respond at all. This was true in Paul's day when Israel, Paul's own people, heard the word of God. It's true in our time when people of every kind of religious and cultural background hear the gospel and they may respond to it as we'd hope with belief, they may reject it. As we look at our text tonight, we find that Paul quotes the Old Testament as we move on here. It gives us a clear-eyed understanding that while we can and must share the gospel, how people res respond is in God's hands alone. Here's the first of the three, Romans 11, verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. 
For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Here's what's a little strange about this verse. Paul is quoting Psalm 19, specifically verse 4. Now, if you take the time to look at Psalm 19, you'll see that the beginning of it does not seem to be referring to the written word of God. It it begins, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's a powerful line. and When we look up at the sky, it's possible to get a general sense that there must be a creator God. But it's difficult to look at the sky and learn anything specific about the God who made it. So why does Paul quote this verse right here when it seems to be talking about the clear word of God that points to Jesus Christ who gives us faith? So, what can we make of this? Perhaps, when people see a creation, they see the created world out there, and its beauty, its wonder, they get a general sense there must be a God. Then people hear of God's law, which is referred to later on in Psalm 19. People see this beautiful world out there, they hear of God's law, they become convicted of their sin in their hearts. So a God who is so powerful to create the very heavens makes demands upon your life and upon my life. How in the world could we ever appease a God who is so great and so majestic? We can't, but Jesus did. So Paul continues. He'll quote the Old Testament twice more here. Romans 10, 19 through 21. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Israel, God's chosen people, is to be jealous when the Gentiles find faith. The Gentiles are non-Jewish people. And if if that is not enough, the Lord says very bluntly in Isaiah, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have been found by those who did not seek me. So religious pedigree won't help you. You have to hear the word of God and God has to awaken your heart to new life in Jesus. Now, a passage like this might make us pessimistic as we go out to share the word of God. As we talk to classmates and friends, it might make us a little pessimistic. And yet, there's hope in this. There's hope in this when we think about this because we tend to make assumptions when we talk to our friends, don't we? We tend to make assumptions about who might be ready for faith in Jesus. Who might be interested in church? We kind of feel people out in our conversations. We try to make this kind of a guessing game sometimes. I know I'm guilty of this. But, but if we consider God has been found by those who did not seek him, we have to let go of our assumptions. We have to share the gospel and just see what happens. And we think about Paul himself. Um, if you look at the book of Acts, where it talks about Paul's own conversion, the beginning of the chapter, in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, the beginning of the chapter when it before it describes Paul's conversion, it says that Paul was breathing threats and murder against the church. So if you think about 
friends in your life, it might be the last person you expect who is very close to faith in Jesus. That person might just need someone to share the good news with them very clearly. So we have Paul in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9, breathing threats and murder against the church. And then in verse 5, Paul is asking, who are you, Lord? The Lord has already begun to open his eyes. So we share the gospel. God chooses the people. God chooses the timing of the new birth. I told you that I was going to tell you a story about puppets. If someone were to come to you, a Christian friend, and say, I've got it. This is how we're going to evangelize the University of Montana. I've got some friends who are really good with marionette puppets. You know, the ones with the strings, they do all, dance around, do all sorts of strange things. I've got a friend who's good with those. We're going to go out next week on campus. We're going to have my friend who's good with the puppets present the gospel with puppets. And you, you are going to go up and talk to people when they stop to watch the puppet show. That's your job. When people stop to watch this gospel puppet presentation, you're going to go talk to them about Jesus, invite them to GCF. If a Christian friend said that to you, I bet your first reaction would be skepticism. I bet that would be your first reaction. That would certainly have been mine. But I'll tell you a strange story. Uh, when I was a college student at this campus, I had the opportunity to um, spend a little bit of time abroad as part of an exchange program. And I got to spend a summer in Vienna. Uh, Vienna is not a place that is associated with um, open public evangelism at all. But as it happened one day, I was walking through a tourist area, uh, the old city center, and there were a group of uh, young evangelists in Vienna doing a puppet presentation of the gospel. It was simple, plain, clear. You need Jesus. Heaven and hell are at stake. And I stopped to listen. And I don't know why I stopped to listen, but I did. Maybe it, it was just so strange to see all these puppets out there. And a couple of young people walked up to me and started talking to me. Um, I do not remember too much of the conversation. They invited me to, to their church. I never went. Um, but I remember one thing a young woman said to me at the end of the conversation. She said, you don't have to do all these things. You don't have to prove anything. All you need is Jesus. I remember she said, all you need is Jesus. And I went on with my life and forgot about that conversation for about three and a half years. And then when the time finally came that the Lord had appointed for me to believe, um, it was far removed, uh, different place, different time. I was back in this country. A friend asked to pray over me. I accepted. And as she was praying, this memory of this other conversation came to mind, the experience, and it, particularly the line, all you need is Jesus. And that was my awakening. That was my conversion when I first believed. And so what I take away from that um, is one, pray for people all you can, and also the power of a clear, plain gospel message. I think of those students um, I have no way to get in touch with them. I, I probably won't see them this side of heaven. But I think of them, and I bet that morning before they went out there, I bet they were nervous. I bet, they had, I bet some of them had second thoughts. Just knowing what I know about the culture of Vienna, they quite possibly didn't see any converts that day. I don't know if anybody they talked to that day 
would have accepted their invitation to church. They probably went home and they prayed, or they, went, they gathered together afterwards, I'm sure, and prayed. And they probably said to themselves, well, I guess we planted some seeds. And, some, and sometimes we tell ourselves that almost kind of to say, it's the best we can say. But sometimes you do. You just never quite know. And they did plant a seed with me that day. And somehow the Lord chose to use that experience, um, the gospel message with puppets, as part of how I came to faith years after the fact. So you just never know. So even if you don't get the response you hope for when you share the gospel, it's still worth it. It's still worth it because you don't know how the Lord will bring that to mind later, how that might be affecting a person's heart in ways that you cannot see. I want to um, share with you a couple thoughts here before we close. I've got a book here. It's by um, a man named Rico Tice. I've got a couple extra copies with me this evening, so I'd like to give a couple away. If you'll read one, take one with you. It's very, very short. It's not going to get in the way of your studies. Really short, really clear. Um, really powerful message, but a few things I think we can take with us. He says, here's the thing. Jesus says we're sheep among wolves. The Bible tells us to answer those who attack us. But most books on evangelism don't tell you that. There's always this suggestion that if you do evangelism in a certain way, or if you learn to be charming or funny, or interesting as you share the gospel, you can avoid getting hit. Now, he's not talking about someone literally punching you, although that's possible. He's just talking about the discomfort, the pain, the awkwardness. He calls it the pain line in this book. He says, I want to be honest. If you tell non-Christians about Jesus, it will be painful. It will be painful. It says that's what the other books, other than the Bible, tend not to tell you. So it's going to be uncomfortable. There's no other way around it. But I want to emphasize the importance in this. I mentioned prayer earlier. There's also a lot of importance if you want to grow as a person who shares Jesus. There's a lot of importance of this gathering together. And if you can make it here on Thursdays, it's always good to see you. If you can make it Sundays or to a community group, because as you start to share Jesus more and more and you experience that discomfort and you have to deal with some rejection, you need to come back and be with Christian people and share what you're struggling with, share the hurt, and pray together. We have to have each other in this. None of us are going to be any good at this on our own. Now, you might find yourself in a situation where you're the only Christian around and you have to share the gospel by yourself. But we have to always keep gathering back together. It's so important to recognize in this, we are the church. We're together. We're not just a bunch of individual people doing this on our own. Another interesting quote I want to share with you. Um, and it's interesting because I, I came across this quote um, actually before I picked up this book. And then uh, Rico Tice also quotes um, a person who's not a Christian a man who's an avowed atheist. I don't know if you'll be familiar with him. Um, his, I don't know, his heyday of fame might have been a little before your time. His name's Penn Gillette. He's an illusionist. Um, he's part of a duo called Penn and Teller. Um, and he's uh, 
quite open about his atheism, but he said something really interesting um, about, about a situation where someone came up to um, effectively proselytize him. He calls it proselytizing. It's Christian, Christian proselytizing is specifically evangelism because we share the good news of Jesus. Um, he calls it proselytizing, just trying to convert a person from one religion to another. And so this man walks up to him after a show. People would go up to him for autographs and so forth. And this is a quote from uh, Pendulette. Then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a Gideon pocket edition, little Bible. He said, I wrote on the front of this and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye. And it was really wonderful. This is an atheist. He's not a believer, doesn't come to faith from this experience, at least not yet. Uh, but he says, it was really wonderful. I believe that he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. And it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really nice and kind and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then he gave me this Bible. And I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and you believe that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, I'm still quoting, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, think again. And then he says, this is kind of harsh, but something for us to think about. He says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming to hit you and you didn't believe it, that the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point when I tackle you. And this is more important than that. That's all a quote, for, a long rambling quote from an atheist. He doesn't believe, but he recognizes that it is not moral to believe in a heaven and a hell, to believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved, and to not share that. And I think about... I've been a Christian about seven years, and I think about the number of opportunities I've squandered to share Jesus. It's pretty heavy, really. And yet, in that, we have to apply the gospel to our own lives because Christ's forgiveness for us is complete, right? When he forgives our sins, he forgives our cowardice. He forgives the times we selfishly did not evangelize. So we have to return to the hope that is in Jesus in order to go forward and share this news with people. We have to remember that Christ died on the cross for our sins and then he rose. He's with God today. He has given us the Holy Spirit in order that we might be filled with him and go forward to share this with people. And so my challenge for you that I'll leave you with tonight, I would challenge you to think of three people. Start with three. 
friends, family members, somebody you know you're going to run into in the next month or someone you could easily contact, three people, and commit to sharing a clear gospel message with those people. For some of you, you've shared the gospel before and you just need a little urging to step up and do this. Some of you may never have done this before. Some of you might still be coming to terms with your own faith. And if that's where you are, I totally respect that. But if you believe, I want you to take this step. If you're saying, I've never shared the gospel and I really don't know what to say, practice with a friend. It doesn't have to be a recited speech, but start thinking about these things. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and why it matters. Think about how you can get those things across to a person in your own words. It's perfectly acceptable to acknowledge your own unease. You can say to a person, I feel really uncomfortable talking about my religion, but I think this is really important and I want to share this with you. You can, you can talk about your discomfort. You can say, I've never done this before and this makes me nervous, but I care about you and I want you to consider Jesus. You know, you don't need a clever segue. You don't need a humorous opening. You just need to look people in the eye and tell them how much they need Jesus. Tell them of the difference he's made in your life. I think it's interesting that Pendulette repeats several times, he looked me in the eye. I found that really interesting. He kept repeating that um, in his quote. If you want to listen to it yourself, it's on YouTube. I think you can find it under a gift of a Bible or the gift of a Bible, something like that. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting to listen to him because he's quite moved as he explains this. But he keeps repeating, he looked me in the eye. And it's so easy today to get these things across without that, right? Um, most of you probably use Facebook um, and our church has provided a lot of tools for evangelism through social media, which is good. It's very good. But there is something about looking a person in the eye and telling them about Jesus. There is something that no technology, there's some power in that. Maybe it's because the Holy Spirit is present in us as we say that. There's a power in that that technology can never replace. And so I think it's great if you want to use those tools to keep in touch with friends, to get together with them. But when you have those opportunities, let's look people in the eye and let's tell them about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that your word is so powerful. And I, I thank you that... Um, that I can fumble through my words and my manuscript, but it's your power that is at work. It's your power, your spirit, that works upon our hearts, convicts us of our sin, and also reminds us that we are forgiven fully in Christ. Every sin, every, every moment of selfishness, every missed opportunity, it's forgiven in Christ. We have a sovereign God who is preparing us to share the gospel just as he is preparing people to hear this news, to receive it, and to believe. Father, help us because I know for many of us there is there's no message like the call to share Jesus. There's no message that convicts us quite like that sometimes. 
And I know I'm convicted. I have encountered my own weakness very, very profoundly in preparing for this, and I need lots of help to change. Father, help us to remember that that we are in this together and that we have you, our almighty God, our almighty Savior, who is leading us step by step through this journey. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Mm-hmm.